You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. We're up to week four in our uh, spiritual health kick campaign. So we've got our, our 12 weeks and over 12 weeks we're looking at eight different habits that we can install in our life to help us live a, a healthy, vibrant uh, Jesus life. And so we've looked at things like uh, detoxing, detoxing from busyness, detoxing from our addiction to approval and uh, detoxing from, uh, what did we do last week? Who remembers last week? It was fasting, so we're detoxing from food. That'll do, Robin, detoxing from food, close enough. Look, it's all there in the YouVersion app. You can, if you've saved your fence, you can go back to it. But so we finished our detox phase, and we're now into the other fun phase of any a healthy uh, kickstart, and that is cleaning out your kitchen, cleaning out your pantry. You know, when you go on a diet, don't you? You have to clean out all the junk food, don't you? Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at removing the stuff that sabotages our spiritual fitness. Who here has things in their pantry at home, their kitchen pantry, that just shouldn't be there? I mean, are you willing to admit it just shouldn't be there? And that might be because it's, it's uh, maybe unhealthy, might be why it shouldn't be there. I remember way back when I was at uni, I visited a friend who was boarding with, with a family. And um, this family she was staying with had a walk-in pantry, which was you know, 20 or 30 years ago was kind of a bit of a new thing. So I hadn't seen a walk-in pantry before. And this walk-in pantry was loaded with, with chocolate and lollies and biscuits and, and chips. Like it was a stockpile of junk food. And, and my friend could just walk in there anytime she wanted and grab whatever she wanted. Like it was like just living in the lolly aisle in Woolies, you know. And, and I mean, this was amazing for me. I grew up with a mother who's a home economics teacher, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, recess for us at school was oranges and Vita-Wheat crackers. Like, like, we did not have a walk-in junk food uh, cupboard. Like, our junk food was once a week on the way home from church. It was sliced Devon or a chocolate paddle pop. You know, that was, that was as fancy as our, our junk food diet got. So, so, this particular pantry blew my little mind. There was an abundance of junk food there. Uh, but it probably wasn't really very good for that family, was it? Or even good for my friend to have uh, access to those things. Uh, perhaps in your pantry at home, you've got some um, strange food, out-of-date food, stuff that, you know, you know you will never eat. And, and so as research for this sermon, I, what did I do? I went to my pantry, didn't I? Have a bit of a look, what's in there? Found this odd jar of stuff called um, Ajvar. I don't know, it's A-J-V-A-R. I don't know what it is. It was from Macedonia. I don't know why I bought it. It's a couple of years out of date, and I, I don't know what I'm ever actually going to do with it. And then I also found, I mean... Like, talk about evils in your pantry, huh? I found a can of spam. Like, ew. And not just any spam, it's 50% less sodium spam. Mmm, tasty. And uh, what I noticed about this spam, I was looking to see, you know, how out of date is it? They don't actually put a used by date on spam. They just tell you when it was packed. And I guess just let you figure it out from there, I suppose. This one was packed in 2015. So it's cranking up a few years. Does anyone, would anyone like a take-home from today's sermon? No? Give it to my cat. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. 
No, I don't think I'd even do that to my cat. Anyway. <laughs> That's right, unless, yeah, we wanted to retire the cat or something. <laughs> There's, there's stuff hidden in the back of all of our pantries that's, that's neither good for us nor appealing. And it sits back there in the darkness, doesn't it? Cluttering, bringing chaos to our pantry. Or sabotaging our efforts to get healthy by continually tempting us to eat the wrong things. And on a diet, you're, you're typically advised to clean out all the unhealthy temptations from your kitchen and stock up on healthy snacks. And things like dates, chia seeds, dry roasted, unsalted almonds and cans of tuna in spring water seem to be popular choices when you are dieting. So today is part of our 12-week spiritual health kick. We're cleaning out our inner pantry. And we're cleaning out our, our soul pantries, as it were. And what we're going to be looking at today is confession confession of sin and uh, I guess that probably sounds about as much fun as cleaning out your kitchen pantry doesn't it but I, I think this will be really helpful I hope this will be really helpful and useful for you we we seem to have a talent for self-sabotage and Paul said it best in Romans 7 Romans 7 15 Paul says I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do but what I hate to do, I do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. We know what it is that we want to do or what we want to be or, or how we want to think. We know what Jesus has done in our life to enable us to live that healthy, victorious, spirit-empowered, fruitful life of ministry, yet, but we get tempted, don't we? We stumble, we get stuck, we struggle, we sin. And, and it's a bit like a 12-week uh, exercise or diet program. You know, you know what you need to do on that exercise program. You've got all the tools to do it, but you get tempted to slack off. You get tempted to head to Baker's Delight and eat that custard Danish or whatever it might be. It's a reality of life. And so we need to know how to handle temptation. And if you don't think you need to know how to handle temptation, then you really, really, really do need to know how to handle temptation. We need to know what to do with our sin and our failings. Uh, James, the book of James, has a great list of all the stuff we keep hidden in our soul pantries. And I figure, you know what, human nature really d hasn't changed all that much. And if this stuff was an issue for, Old Testament, uh, for New Testament uh, Christians, then I, I, I think it's probably an issue for us today. So we're going to look at some of the things in life that cause us to stumble in our Jesus life, that cause us to sin, and we're going to have a look at the practice of confession. And just for fun, I created an acronym. Do you like acronyms? I love acronyms. No. All right, block your ears. Block your ears. We've got an acronym, all right? <laughs> um, so in honour of Michelle Bridges, who kind of made the whole 12-week uh, exercise program famous, our acronym today is Bridges, all right? So I figure if Michelle was an apostle or leader in the early church, she's kind of the apostle of the fitness industry, isn't she? So it sort of fits. Uh, what would she tell me to clean out of my soul pantry? 
So here it is. You can turn to the book of James. The first thing Michelle would tell us to clean out would be bias. So we have B for bias. So James chapter 2. James chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So bias, favoritism. I guess we like to think that that's not an issue for us, and I, I think for the most part it's it's not, gosh, it, it's easy, isn't it, to show preference for certain people over another. I mean, we all do it. Yeah, I'll have that person over for a cuppa, but we kind of don't think about inviting that person, and it's it's maybe not that we're intentionally excluding them, but, you know, this person is just a little bit more our style, aren't they? And, and so... I think it is something we need to be, be aware of. And particularly as God starts to bring a diverse range of people to our church, we, we must be a church that welcomes and opens our arms to everyone. Not just to the clever people, not just to the you know, talented musicians or, or whoever they may be, but to everyone. Our second, our second sin here is R. And that's relying on ourselves. Now, this is basically pride, is another name for this. So, relying on ourselves. So, James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. James 4, 13 to 16. Now, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what you, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So, ah, relying on ourselves. Pride. I, I think we're all uh, in danger of, of thinking, you know what, I can do it myself. I mean, I think that all the time. I don't need help. I can do it myself. I don't need anyone else. Uh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this and this. And, and pride is actually, it's a badge of honor in our culture, isn't it? It's a badge of honor. Uh, we, we, we train our kids to be strong and independent and self-sufficient, don't we? And I wonder if sometimes we're just training our kids and training each other to be full of pride and, and uh, independence and to not know that they need God and they need people. So it's B-R, next letter, I. Immorality and injustice. Immorality and injustice. James 1, 21. James 1, 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And then injustice, over to chapter 4, verse 17. 
uh, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. The immorality and injustice, uh, look, it's a broad one, isn't it? But in many ways, uh, our, our, our culture and the way we live our life does bring injustice into this, into this planet. Um, immorality, I think that's anything from filthy speech, filthy thoughts, lust, lies, swearing, Sexual immorality, pornography, maybe it's just judging others, criticising, condemning them. Anyway, our, our behaviour is, is, is full of selfishness or greed. Maybe when we withhold things from others that we have plenty of. And we all have plenty of everything. There is no need to withhold anything, is there? So that's B-R-I-D. D is for discord. This is basically all the stuff that breaks down our relationships with each other. So that's things like anger. So James 1, 19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Uh, it's, discord also involves out of control words. So 126. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And then uh, fights and arguments over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And 4.11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. So discord, all the stuff that just destroys our relationships, destroys families, destroys churches. I wonder, when was the last time you got angry at someone? It's, it's more common than what we probably care to admit, isn't it? When was the last time you lost your temper, lost your patience, lashed out? When was the last time you just got annoyed and let it quietly fester, that annoyance? You know, someone didn't treat you right and you get annoyed and you get angry at them and maybe they never know about it. The anger's still there. Festering, growing, bubbling inside of you. Bringing discord into your relationships, discord into your family, discord into churches. Next letter, G, grumbling, complaining. Chapter 5, verse 9. Don't grumble against one another. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Don't do it. 
Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Anyone here prone to a bit of complaining? Some people, look, look, some people are so good at complaining, they complain when they get what they want. I mean, there's talent in that, isn't it? You get what you want and you still complain, hey? We complain when we miss out on stuff. I mean, we've got everything here from sexual immorality to having a grumble. I mean, there's a pretty broad spectrum there. And I think if we think that we don't fall into anywhere there ever, then we are probably deluding ourselves a little bit. So that's G, G, grumbling. Next one, E. E is for envy. I feel like I'm sort of a presenter on Sesame Street or something. The letter of the day is E, envy. This is effectively selfish ambition as well. So chapter 3, 14 to 16. Chapter 3, 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is, un, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Well, that's not pulling any punches, is it? Envy, selfish ambition is worldly and demonic. If you want to open a doorway to evil into your life, then get a bit envious and jealous of someone or something. Have you ever wanted to get ahead by making someone else look bad? Do you ever get jealous about the time or attention other people get? Or the love or the success they seem to have? And you quietly look at them. You know, we can even covet other people's ministries and spiritual gifting. I mean, how awful is that? But we do it. Man, I'm just not gifted like that person. If only I could, you know, sing and play the guitar like Aaron. You know, God, you're holding out of me. We do it. S is for secular worldliness. Secularism, worldliness. Chapter 4, verse 4. 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I think an example of this is when we allow culture to shape us more than Scripture. It's when the media has more sway in our life than the Word of God. I learned a new word at our recent CSE conference, democratic truth. It's my new favorite word, democratic truth. And what that is, if you haven't heard that word before, it's basically the way our society thinks at the moment is that if enough people believe something is true, then it must be true. So that's the way you define truth. If enough people say, yeah, that's true, then it's true, democratic truth. And it's right, isn't it? That's how our world thinks. And and so we can really easily fall into this trap of, if enough of my friends think something, then that must be okay to think like that. That must be good to think like that. You know, if, if the shows I watch, if the things I read, if the music I listen to says that something is right, then it must be true and right and good. And we so easily slide 
away from scripture, away from God's heart and, and into this whole other corrupted version of what we think is faith, but it's, it's, it's culture kind of with a bit of Jesus jewellery or something and a few Jesus tats. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with tats, but you know, I mean. I wonder, do we have any of these things hiding in the pantry of our hearts? And they're probably right at the back where we forget about them and we don't think about them because they're ugly and we don't like to think that they're there. But I wonder, are they there? So how do we get rid of these bridges? Confession. And, and I, what I want to say to us is we can make confession a lifestyle thing, an everyday thing, not just a, a one-off occasional thing, but we can have a lifestyle of confession. So what does confession look like? Well, James is going to tell us that too. James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. This is how we can practice confession as a lifestyle. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change all laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So confession requires these, these things. Firstly, it requires that we submit to God. We submit to God. What does it mean to submit? Basically, it's being subjected to God as king and ruler. It's following his orders and his directions. It's, it's knowing our place. Do you know, it's, it's actually a tricky thing to get a revelation that you're God and I'm not. It takes some people a long time to figure that out. Uh, submitting to God is, is desiring to please him as our superior, to, to offer all of ourselves for his, his pleasure and his purpose. It's to acknowledge that he knows best, that, that he is Lord and we are not. And if you look at this list of bridges, sins that we've just looked at, the heart of all of those things is, is us thinking that we know better than God and, and us wanting to honour our own desires. You know, worldliness, ambition, envy, arguing, all of that stuff is, is us wanting to honour our own desires rather than his desires. And so the key point when confessing our sin, the first thing we need to remember, the biggest thing we need to remember, is that Jesus is Lord. I mean, if you don't get that right, you're not going to get the rest of it right. The rest of it's not going to happen. Jesus is Lord. When we, when we sin, you know what we're doing? We're declaring that we're Lord. That's what we're doing when we sin. I am Lord. And, and so we need to get this thing settled. And I would suggest, you know, maybe we should make a, a habit of starting each day with a prayer. Lord, I submit to you. Lord, I submit to you. I am under your authority. You are king. I am not. I'm dependent on you, and Lord, I desire to do your will, not mine. And, and I think if we were to start our days with a prayer like that, it orientates our mind, doesn't it? It, 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 it helps us to remember who is Lord and who is not. The second thing we need to do to make uh, a, a lifestyle of confession is to resist the devil. So as we read, James 4, 7 to 10, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you know that Jesus is Lord, you also know that the devil has no authority over you. 
does he? Because you're in a new kingdom. You're under the authority of a new king. The devil might try to call out commands or suggestions from across the drawbridge, mightn't he? But you don't have to listen, do you? He's not your king anymore. They're, they're just empty threats. They're powerless suggestions, unless, of course, you choose to obey them, and then I guess they are powerful suggestions. We can and we should resist the temptations that he throws at us. Do you know that it's your desires that give him the opportunity to entice you to sin? It's your desires. James, James 1, 14 to 15 says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You might not have sinned as such, but if, if desire exists in you that is not of God, you know, that is, that is evil, then it's only a matter of time before that desire entices you to do, to act. So resisting the devil is not just, you know, claiming and confessing stuff in prayer. It, the, the more significant thing here is being aware of your desires. Because that's what the devil's going to use to tempt you, isn't it? And to gain power over you. So when you are aware of your desires, then you can circumvent any, any efforts he, he has to, to tempt you. So our desires, are they of God or are they evil? So we resist the devil simply by surrendering our sinful desires. The, the word resist here, it, it means literally to turn your back. So this is saying, you know, turn your back on the devil. I remember when I, I used to work um, for a government agency for docs and uh, we were out one day on a home visit and there was a, a man there having a little bit of a rant, swearing and yelling and angry and on and on he was going and uh, what I did was I just turned turned away turned my back on him probably maybe turned my back maybe wasn't such a smart thing but that's what I did I turned my back and, and I refocused the conversation on other people and, and what I wanted to talk about now if I'd entered into a, a conversation or an argument with this man I would have just given power to his words wouldn't have I I would have just legitimized what he was saying. I would have just fed the fury of his argument. But I turned away and, and he was powerless to argue with me because I resisted him. I turned my back on him. Resist means to, to stand your ground. Resist means to, to, say, to say no. You know, when we say no to the devil, the Bible says he'll flee. And uh, this word flee, this is a good word. I like this flee, flee to shrink and stand fearfully aloof. I like that. Can you imagine the devil shrinking away and kind of standing fearfully aloof because we're resisting him? How good's that? Flee means to vanish, disappear, leave. You know, the devil has a major problem with pride. And he only feels okay when we help to feed his pride, when people are kind of in awe of him and, and scared of him. You know what he fears? He fears when people say no to him, when, when they realise that he is defeated, because that's a significant blow to his pride and he can't handle it and it makes him flee. He doesn't want to hang around you if you keep reminding him that Jesus is your Lord. 
that you've happily bowed your knee to Jesus and are loving, living in submission to him as the king of kings? devil don't like listening to that, does he? It reminds him that he's lost. Submission to Jesus is the most powerful weapon you have in this world. Pull it out of your tool belt anytime you need it. Submission to Jesus. So here's the key. When you're tempted to cross the sin bridges that we've been talking about, or when you think that those bridges are too big, too powerful, too, you know, whatever in your life, you realize that's, that's the voice of the enemy telling you those things. And he's on the other side of the moat, and you don't have to listen to him because he speaks lies. Resist the temptation to believe that you are stuck in your old ways. Resist the temptation to believe that these things don't matter. We'll tell us, well, you know, I'm not watching pornography, I'm not stealing, but, you know, a bit of envy or bitterness, that's okay. They're low-level sins. You know, not many demerit points off for those ones. Okay? You know, because we think these sins are like traffic offences, don't we? Some cost a bit more than others, but it's untrue. Bitterness will destroy you and your marriage as much as pornography ever will. God does not want these things in your life. We need to put this stuff to death because they lead to death. They are bridges to death. So be aware of your desires. Know what voice you're listening to. And if it's the enemy, just say no. So for us in our daily life, I think we we should make a habit of self-examination. Confessing those sinful desires to to the Lord. I think journaling is a really great way of developing self-awareness and getting a bit of insight into whose voice you're listening to. You know, getting stuff out on paper where it's concrete, where you can see how ridiculous it is that I'm thinking like that. Look, look what I'm reading. It really helps to develop self-awareness and insight into what we're, we're thinking. Sometimes when the words are just murky thoughts in our mind, they can just sit there, can't they? spin around you get them out on paper and all of a sudden there's light in those words and where there's light there's no darkness is there so that's the second one the third one uh, we need to come near to God submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to God and he will come near to you the idea here is of the priests entering into the temple to offer sacrifices as they administer the worship practices of the people. So they're entering into his presence where he dwells. You know, the holy place, the intimate place, the special place. And for us, you know, we need to enter into intimate and close fellowship with him. We need to be drawn into close communion with him. We need to worship And in turn, he offers full and complete access to himself. He doesn't hold back intimacy or fellowship from us. He gives of himself. He gives his love. He gives his grace. There's a requirement here for us to do something. You know, draw near. It's a verb, isn't it? It's a doing word. We're not passive recipients in our relationship with God. God is there. He will not withhold himself from you. But we need to be proactive in cultivating intimacy with him. Don't neglect it. 
You know, you, you, you need to be proactive, don't you, in cultivating intimacy with your, your spouse, with your children, with your friends. But that's, that's how relationships work, isn't it? You know, when you put in time with God, you reap the reward of intimacy, don't you? I mean, you've experienced that, haven't you? I'm not telling you anything new. When you put in time with the TV, all you get is intimate with your TV. <laughs> hey, which would you rather? TV or God? Yeah, probably God. The point is, uh, being in intimate fellowship with God is necessary for the confession of sin. It's necessary for the confession of sin. And that's because we'll, we'll actually notice it. We'll notice sin. You know, if you're living a lifestyle of worship with your eyes fixed in adoration on Jesus, you'll notice sin because it's going to stand in ugly, stark, dark comparison to Jesus who you're, you know, transfixed by. I was traveling in uh, the work car recently and I had someone in there. So I had uh, Star FM on. Uh, which I don't normally listen to. And it had been a while since I'd listened to Star FM. Now, I mean, I don't have a problem with, with uh, you know, non-Christian songs uh, as such. Love, love many of them. But man, this morning I was listening to song after song after song that, that seriously was like pornography. It was like listening to the soundtrack from a porn movie. It was awful. It was awful. But it was only noticeable to me as being something that was not of God because I'm normally feeding myself on intimate stuff with God. And to suddenly be, be listening to this other stuff stood out in stark comparison. So we, so we need to be in intimate fellowship with God so that we notice sin when it, when it occurs. Now, the second reason we need intimate fellowship with God is so that we'll, we'll want to get rid of the sin. Because our, our hearts are going to want what Jesus wants, aren't they? When you're living a lifestyle of worship, your, your heart will start to want what Jesus wants. So we'll have the desire to actually be rid of our sin because it's going to feel uncomfortable, isn't it? It's a bit like having a foreign object lodged in your eye. Uh, you know, your eye is sensitive, isn't it? And, and so when we're, we're living in a, a life of worship, we'll see sin through God's eyes. We'll notice it. The third reason we need intimacy with God is that it safeguards us against condemnation. So when we're in fellowship, when we're experiencing the love of Jesus, and when we're experiencing his acceptance of you, his desire for you, you know what? When sin does come up, it's not going to cause you to crumble in guilt and shame and condemnation because you know that your dad will forgive you and he'll fix it. Have you heard the little, uh, there's a little Facebook sort of post doing the rounds that says, religion, I messed up, my dad is going to kill me. The gospel, I messed up, I need to call my dad. Okay? And so when you live a lifestyle of worship, when you mess up, you're like, oh, I've got to call my dad. I've got to call my dad, he's going to fix this mess I'm in. So we need to spend time with Jesus, be intimate with him. You know what? Right here, right now, coming to church. This is an excellent way of drawing near to him. You know, there's this high level of intimacy that we experience with Jesus in the context of worshipping with other believers. Because Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. 
You know, there's, there's something just extra significant about the fellowship we have with God when we're together as the body, as the church. And you experienced that earlier, didn't we? Something just beautiful about worshipping uh, Jesus with one another. The other thing we can do is examine ourselves regularly. Notice what is not of God. Ask him to reveal it to you. Make it part of your prayer life. Ask him to make you uncomfortable about sin. You ever thought of doing that? Lord, make me feel uncomfortable about sin. I was talking with someone before about, you know, be careful what you pray for because it just might happen. That's probably one of those prayers, isn't it? Lord, make me uncomfortable about my sin. Oh, why do I pray that prayer? He'll do it. But, but look, you won't not to be condemned. He won't condemn you. You're not going to feel debilitated by it. But, but um, you want to be uncomfortable enough for it to register on your conscience and for you to want his help to fix it. And the fourth thing we need to do is, is to be washed and purified. And so it says uh, in James 4, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Bit harsh, isn't it? I mean, this whole sermon's a bit, bit harsh, but it's good, isn't it? It's good stuff. Uh, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is about not, it's, it's no good just looking clean or sin-free on the outside, is it? it? It's what's happening inside in our thoughts, in our will, in our hearts. They need to be clean as well. And James makes the point that, that what's happening on the outside of us must line up with our inward behavior. Our actions must line up with what's going on in our hearts. There must be authenticity and integrity and honesty. And so it's all about bringing all of us before God and receiving healing and cleansing for our sin. Only Jesus can restore you on the inside and the outside. Only Jesus can restore your, your behavior and your inner spiritual state. Only Jesus can clean your hands and your heart. When we're trying to deal with sin on our own, we just end up feeling guilty and ashamed. And you know, maybe if you experience significant guilt and shame in your life, then perhaps you've been trying to deal with sin on your own. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Only he is qualified to sort it out. Don't hang on to this stuff. It's robbing you. Don't shy away from it. Don't shove it to the back of your soul pantry. It's just going to get more and more out of date. It's just going to bring more and more chaos to your life. Bring it to Jesus. and He'll step in on your behalf. And he's really good at organising pantries. I'd say for us, use communion as an opportunity to bring your whole self wholly to him. Don't just see it as a bit of a ritual we do every Sunday. Use it as an opportunity. Communion is an opportunity for you to regularly be reminded to, to confess your need for Jesus, confess your sin and to receive fresh forgiveness fresh love. I don't know about you, but I want, I want fresh forgiveness. I don't want old forgiveness. I want the new stuff every day. I want to experience his, his loving presence with me every day. I want it to be fresh, not something that I remember when I was a bit younger and having a kind of a bit of a wow moment with Jesus. Every day. The fifth thing we need to do is to grieve and mourn 
and wail. Gosh, that's something we don't do very well in our culture, is it? Get a bit embarrassed about that stuff, don't we? James 4, 7 to 10, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Do you know what I like about this? I was thinking about this. It sounds a bit severe, but I really like this. In fact, I actually feel excited to hear that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sorry. It's, it's actually okay to lament the stuff in us that is wrong and broken and sinful. We're actually told to do it. You know, it's okay to say, you know, Lord, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I repent of this attitude. I, reject, I, I regret this choice. Lord, I'm sorry that I did that. Confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness. You know, it's, it's not a tick and flick kind of arrangement. Okay, Lord, so here I am. I'm going to confess today. Sin A is this. Uh, sin B is such and such. And sin C, oh, yeah, that's right. I did that. Yeah, so please forgive me. Amen. Now, it's important to express some godly sorrow. Otherwise, it's just an intellectual exercise. It's just a business exchange. You know, thank you, Jesus, uh, you know, my sin for your goodness, awesome, amen, and off I go to sin again. When we grieve our sin, you know, you're, you're less likely to do it again because you've experienced the pain and, and the hurt that is involved with sin. If you've been sinned against, you'll, you'll know the depth of pain, don't you? I mean, all of us here, we've been sinned against, haven't you? You think of some wrong, some injustice that's been done to you, it hurts, doesn't it? It tears us apart. It's because sin is awful. And so we should grieve our sin. You know, when you live with bitterness or anger or envy in your heart, it's debilitating. It's painful. Fighting, arguing, pride in your relationships... It's awful, and so we should allow ourselves to feel great sorrow for this stuff. This stuff is a taste of hell right here on earth, and so it's good to grieve these things that you do wrong. It's okay to feel gloomy about it. God grieves sin, and you know, as we grieve our sin, we are agreeing with what God says about sin, and that's a good thing. I wonder, do you, do you have an, an area of sin or brokenness? that you're currently grieving about? Or maybe an area that you need to grieve? I remember going through a time when <laughs> God seemed to highlight just how broken and needy I really was. Like every past sin that I thought was in the past, God seemed to be bringing it into the present. You know, things would, would happen in my life that would just trigger some stuff that was linked to the past and, and, and there was great grief and it was overwhelming. And I, I tell you what, it is confronting to realise how broken and needy you really are. It's confronting to, to realise how debilitated I was by my old sin nature. You know, it was incapacitating. The revelation of sin and, and, and the grief I felt, do you know what came with it? 
the desire to bring it before God and confess and, and throw myself at his feet and ask for his mercy and his help and his healing. So we need to recognize our sin. We need to feel sorry for it. We need to bring it to him. And then finally, six, we need to uh, be humbled and be lifted up. So James 4, 7 to 10, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. As we humble ourselves before God and confess our sin, we know that we have a loving and a liberating Father who will take care of our mess. He forgives, he restores, he sets right our mess. You know, you can go to your dad and you can say, sorry, I've messed up and he's not going to reject you. He's not going to hold you in contempt, in condemnation. He will hold you in love and in kindness and in mercy, and in grace. This is amazing. This is amazing stuff. You know, as we humble ourselves under his authority, he gives of himself, he gives his grace, he gives his presence, and that empowers us, and it lifts us into a place of victory over sin. And we're empowered to stop sinning. Hebrews, if, if uh, you're part of our, our small group Bible study, we're working through Hebrews, and Hebrews reminds us that we have a high priest, and that high priest is Jesus, and Jesus sympathizes with us, and, and he, he not just relates to us, he gives us grace to keep us from sinning when we are tempted. So he empathizes, he forgives, he sets free, he lifts up. This is a gospel of opposites, isn't it? We humble ourselves, what does he do? He honors us. We bow down, he lifts us up. We confess, he exalts us. We repent, we grieve, we mourn, he forgives, he restores, he celebrates us. We bow down and he lifts us up into heavenly places. Amen, this is good news. This is the gospel. This is great. This, you're part of this story. We get the opposite of what we deserve. I don't know what you're sitting here, you know, and maybe some of you are sitting here today, you're thinking, man, I don't deserve anything. I'm rubbish. I'm on the trash heap. I don't deserve any of this stuff. I'm telling you, that's a lie from the enemy, and he's on the other side of the moat, and you don't have to listen to him. You humble yourself before Jesus, and he will lift you up. He will pour his love and his life and his liberty and his freedom and victory over every single one of those dirty, broken, rotten things that you have ever done in your life. He will forgive you. Do you believe that it's true? Is it true? There's another aspect of, of confession. And, and that's confessing with one another. And maybe there's someone that you know you need to 
ask for forgiveness from in your life. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's an interesting context, this verse. You know, when you're sick, when you're unwell, you've got something going on for you. We're told to go to the elders, confess our sin, receive prayer, and we receive forgiveness and healing. Sin makes us spiritually sick, but you know what? We're holistic beings. There's physical, there's emotional, there's a psychological impact of sin. I wonder, are you experiencing some of this today? You've got some physical stuff going on for you. Maybe some emotional stuff, some, some people you've got to forgive. They've, oh, they've done some terrible things to you. And it's, it's sitting here and it's, it's lodged in here and it's lodged in your thoughts. Maybe it's time to confess confess that bitterness, to confess that anger, to confess that hurt, to confess that disappointment. Maybe you've got some spiritual needs today. Maybe you know that you're just not right with Jesus. You've walked away. Maybe you've never invited him into your life. Today is the day. It's your lucky day. Today is the day you receive forgiveness. Oh, this is good news. Oh, this is good news. We can come and confess our sins to each other as a means of repenting, as a means of humbling ourselves. And we can receive prayer for that area of need through the ministry of the church and other believers. You know, in that example I gave you before about that time in my life when God was just bringing up brokenness after brokenness, sin after sin, stuff after stuff that I needed to go and repent of. I knew I had to confess that to someone. And so I went to someone I trusted, someone I knew would, would not condemn me, but someone I knew that would listen and bring me to a place of restoration. Someone that I knew would pray with me and love on me. And do you know what happened after that period? It was about a period of six months I went through this. And at the end of that six months, you know, there, there, not only was there a newfound spiritual freedom in my life and a newfound intimacy with Jesus, but some of the, the psychological stuff that had been plaguing me, some of the physical stuff that I'd been experiencing, they went. They went. If you need a soul clean out today, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that whatever way you feel you need to do that. And maybe that's time just with you and God. Maybe you want to come and receive prayer. I'm happy to pray with you. Maybe you need to go and have a, have a bit of a chat with someone. You know, go and talk with Don if you need to. Talk with me if you need to. Grab someone you trust. There are people here you can trust. Have a chat with them. Tell them what's been going on for you. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you believe that? Don't hang on to this stuff. You can be free. Why don't you bow your heads? Yeah, just as we sit here with our eyes closed. Holy Spirit, just come now. Come now and bring truth and revelation into our hearts, into our minds. Come and reveal those areas of our life that don't need to be there, those broken areas, those messed up areas. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that as we confess our sin, as we come to you, as we humble ourselves before you, thank you that you lift us up, that you bring freedom and release, and that you gift us the new life that Jesus has for us. Is is there anyone here who has never received life from Jesus? Jesus' life. You know, if that's you, that's you, don't don't leave here today. Don't leave here today the same person who came in. Jesus offers you a new life. It's really easy. It's just crossing the line of faith. It's just saying yes. Yes, Jesus, I've, I've messed up. I've tried to rule my own life. I've been my own king, but I, I've messed it up, Jesus. And, and I want you, you to be my king now. I want to live your way, Jesus. I need to live your way. Lord Jesus, I, I, I invite you into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life and, and make me clean on the inside and the outside. Change the way I think, change the way I feel, change the desires of my heart, Jesus, because I don't want to live like I've been living anymore. I just say yes to you, Jesus. If that's your prayer today, that's your heart today, if you've just said yes to Jesus, you know, I want you to come and see me afterwards because I want to pray with you. And the Holy Spirit will will come upon you and he will fill you and he will restore you and he will clean out all those those dark recesses of your inner life. Oh, and how, how beautiful it is when the creator of the universe comes and and lives in you. Don't leave here today. Don't leave here today without Jesus in your life. We're just going to sing one last song, maybe just a chorus or something. And I'm just going to be here, and I'd love to pray with any of you if you need prayer.